0: Today we're going to be covering a very interesting topic, the mark of Cain. Now, many times you hear a sermon title like this, or perhaps you hear like a a verse like Revelation chapter 14, Beware of the mark of the beast, right? Many times we're thinking to ourselves, oh, that's encouraging. But here's the thing, you're going to find out that today's message is actually a very encouraging message. Can you say amen to that? Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer again? Let's just ask Jesus To be seen. Father in heaven, thank you so much again for Jesus. Lord, he is our hope, our reason, our argument. Right now, God, we pray that we would have more of Jesus. Open up our hearts and minds to be able to see deep things, Lord, that will change us. Thank you, God, for hearing prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, everybody. Let's take our Bible. Let's go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4. First book of the Bible. Fourth chapter of the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Please say amen if you're there. Now many times when you read uh, the early parts of the Bible, uh, when you're reading these stories like the Garden of Eden, of Adam and Eve, of Cain and Abel, of Noah and the Ark, many times these stories have appeared cartoonish to us. Do you guys hear what I'm saying right now? They have appeared cartoonish to us because many times in growing up we see pictures of Noah's Ark and you see this boat with this giraffe sticking out his head smiling and a bunch of animals and Noah smiling. There was a flood that destroyed the world. They didn't look like that, right? Or, or you read the story of Cain and or uh, Adam and Eve and providentially at the right moment they're behind trees that are covering up their private parts, right? And we look at stories like that, and many times, just because of images that we have seen, not what we have read, because of images we have seen, these stories can appear cartoonish to us. But when you study the Word of God, you begin to realize the powerful truths about the origin of humanity. Can you say amen to that? God wants us to be able to take a good look at what happened in the past so we can have an understanding of what's going to be in the future. Can you say amen to that? So here we are. We're in Genesis chapter 4. I want you to see something quite remarkable. The Bible says something interesting. It says this. Now Adam knew Eve his what? Wife. She conceived and bore who? Cain. By the way, chapter 4 is after chapter 3. Now, I know that sounds like a great revelation, but I want you to think about this. Chapter 3 in the book of Genesis essentially ends with the promise of a Redeemer who would come through the line of who? Eve, right? He would be born from Eve and eventually redeem mankind, destroy the devil, and save humanity. So what happens in chapter 4 is quite interesting. The Bible tells us that there was a pregnancy. Somebody was born. Now when you read both chapter 3 and then chapter 4, logically what you want to do in your mind is connect both of those two stories. You would say, okay, chapter 3, there was to be a redeemer that was born. Chapter 4, somebody's born. In fact, take a good look at what Eve says when Cain is born. Notice what the Bible says right here. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said this. I have acquired a man from who? She's acquired a man from who? Do you know what she said? The Bible actually records that she makes this proclamation when Cain is born. She's saying, you know what? God has given me a blessing. Now, notice what happens. Next. Then she born again, this time, his brother Abel. Period. Let me ask you a question. What is actually said about Abel at his birth? Period. Do you guys see that? Yes or no? Okay, we're going to start taking notes right here, okay? And I want you to see how we're going to be pulling this all together, okay? Take a good look at what happens when Cain is born. Apparently, there's this excitement, there's this joyful experience. Cain has been born. In fact, what's very interesting, the word Cain actually means acquired. A blessing from the Lord. Do you know what Abel means? It means vapor. In fact, it's the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes that says, "vanity among vanities, all is vanity." That's Abel. Now, does it seem really exciting when Abel was born? Yes or no? No. It's like, oh, Cain has been born, and then it's like, oh, and we have another child over here. His name shall be Abel. But let's get back to Cain. So, want you take a good look at this, because there is very much a contrast between both Cain and who? Abel. Now I want you to see what happens in their calling or their profession. Notice what the Bible says next. Now Abel was a keeper of the what? Sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the what? Ground. So here you have this. They're both involved in agriculture of some kind or farm you could say. You have Abel that was taking care of the sheep. Then you have Cain that was taking care of the land. Abel was taking care of the sheep that would be used for worship. Cain was taking care of the land where food would be produced for people to eat. Adam, Eve, and their whole family would eat off the fruits of Cain's labor. Are we tracking so far, yes or no? Now everybody stick with Genesis chapter 4. I want you to see what happens next. This is where the story starts taking an interesting turn. Verse 3, and in the process of time, in other words, over a period of time or events, in other words, this was not a fasting that took place, a gradual change started happening. Well, let's find out about this gradual change. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock And of their fat And the Lord respected Abel and his what? Offering But he did not respect Cain and his offering And Cain was very angry And his countenance what? Fell Does anybody know what the word countenance means? Your face, right? Like the Bible actually records The face of Cain Was actually just distraught When you looked at Cain, it was very apparent something was very, very wrong. The Bible teaches that what's in the heart of a man appears on his face. And I can tell you're all happy to be here this morning. Amen? Even if your car broke down or you're wearing the wrong shoes. Right? Okay, this is where it starts getting interesting. The Bible then tells us that there was a time of worship. So the Bible then says that Cain... He built an altar to the Lord. Abel built an altar to the Lord. Both of them are worshiping the Lord. Amen. Both of them are bringing a kind of offering to the Lord. Amen. But watch what happens. The Bible tells us that Cain actually offered up the fruit of the ground. And then Abel offered up a lamb and its fat. The Bible then tells us God's response to both of these forms of worship. God looked at Cain's offering, and the Bible says something interesting. It said the Lord did not respect Cain and his offering. Not just his offering, but who did he not respect? Cain. That's an interesting point. The Bible says that God respected Abel and his offering. So God not only respected the offering of Abel, who else did he respect? Abel. Not just the gift But the giver of the gift was important to the Lord. Can you say amen to that? Now we have a whole new outlook when it comes to giving tithes, right? You can do it with a smile or you can do it with the face of Cain. Which one's going to be? Okay, now going back to this story. The Bible says something quite remarkable. The Bible says that at this moment... Cain got so angry, and do you know what God does? God actually speaks to Cain, and it's very interesting. God uses an interesting analogy. Do you know what God says to Cain? He says, Cain, if you do well, will you not be, what's the words? Accepted. Don't forget that word. If you do not, if you do well, will you not be accepted? God is very tender and caring with Cain. He's reaching out to Cain. He even says, Cain... Why has your countenance fallen? In other words, why do you have a bad look on your face? God then ministers to Cain, trying to communicate to him things he needs to understand. God tells Cain something very interesting. In an illustration, he says, Cain, if you do not do well, he says these words, sin lies at the door. But then he doesn't just stop right there. In fact, if you look at some other translations, it says sin is crouching at the door. And then it says his, its desire is for you. Now that's interesting. Do you know what it sounds like? How is he describing sin, by the way? As a predator. Oh, wow. You think, okay, what's the big deal? He's describing sin as a predator. Do you want to know why that's so interesting? Because when mankind was originally created and put in the garden, the Bible describes about the animal kingdom at that time. The animal kingdom at that time, there were not predators and prey. But what happened is, when, as soon as Adam was kicked out, there was a cascading effect upon the animal kingdom. And I'm sure Cain... And Abel, after generations begin to notice that animals were no longer friendly towards each other, that these animals were actually hunting each other. So as Cain is being being made aware of this analogy, God says to him, he's like, look, sin is crouching at the door. It wants to take you out. And this would have been something very interesting to Cain because as they begin to observe the animals around them, they would have picked up, wait a minute, it's like he's describing what's happening to the world. But then God gives Cain some hope and he says, But you but you shall what? What does he say to him? Its desire is for you, but you shall what? Rule over it. God was actually telling Cain, Cain, you should not be defeated by this, but you should actually conquer this. But you know the rest of the story. The Bible then tells us Cain talked with Abel. And they went out to the field. And it says that Cain killed Abel. And then walked off like nothing else happened. And the Bible teaches that God confronted Cain. And he says, Cain, where is your brother? Cain replies, am I my brother's keeper? I'm not responsible for him. And God says, the blood of your brother, what? Don't forget that point. The blood of your what? The blood of your brother cries out. Okay, by the way, I'm giving you... When I'm emphasizing something, I want you to store all these things down because we're going to pull it all together, okay? Okay? God says to Cain, the blood of your what? Brother is crying out. In other words, there is a cry for justice, right? And God confronts Cain and says, Cain, you've killed your brother Abel. And then God says, Cain, you are cursed from this earth. And then he pronounces a very interesting sentence upon Cain. Notice what the Bible says right here, Genesis 4 verse 11. So now you are what? Cursed from the what? Earth which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its what? Strength. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Now let me ask you a question. What is a fugitive? Someone who's being hunted? Someone who's running from the law? Anybody else? What's a fugitive? it's a movie huh no what's a fugitive yes tom okay very good someone who doesn't have a safe place to be now what is a vagabond a wanderer okay i mean if you see somebody walking down the street who doesn't have home would you say oh there goes a vagabond what's a vagabond is it a paw yes patty a lonely person a beggar anybody else what is a vagabond is that like a positive phrase would you say oh I'm, you, you must be a vagabond is that what we say to people what does the word vagabond mean it's a negative connotation it has a, a negative implication to in other words this person is a wanderer in fact if you actually took a, check up the Hebrew it says somebody who is desolate or somebody who is a wanderer now this is where we start tying this all together a fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the what earth And do you know what God does? God actually marks Cain. Now what's so interesting is how the story with Cain ends. The Bible then says, after this point, that Cain actually went to the other side of the land of Eden. He dwelt there. Does anybody know what the word dwelt means? Lived. Lived. Okay, now that's interesting. And the Bible then says he built a city there. And his son was born there. Actually, he begins to have several generation... Of people in that city. Now we're going to pull together all these things now. We've just placed emphasis upon certain things. What is this all about? Ladies and gentlemen, what you are looking at is the form of worship that most Christians have fallen into. You are looking at a Christ list. Religion. Now this is where I'm going to start explaining and helping us to understand what's going on here. The Bible says that Cain, when he was born, what did Eve say? I've acquired a man from the Lord. The Bible begins to teach this idea. There was this great joy or implying there was this excitement about Cain's birth. Perhaps he could be the promised redeemer. Can you imagine someone being born like that and raised like that? God has tremendous plans for your life. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. But, it, you know, it, there, there could be some lenience in there as well. Almost as if, man, he is privileged. They begin to worship God. And the Bible says something interesting. Who was the tiller of the land? Cain. Who was the keeper of the sheep? Abel. In order for Cain to worship the Lord, where would he have to get a sheep? He'd have to go to his brother to get it. Now that's interesting. The older brother would have to go to the younger brother to get the sheep. Here Abel is, he'd be gone for a certain period of time taking care of the sheep. Cain would be working hard. And the Bible says over a period of time, they begin to worship God and the worship of Cain began to almost change. Cain, instead of bringing the lamb that he should have brought, He begins to bring the fruit of the ground. You know, the Bible teaches that when Adam and Eve sinned, that skins were prepared for them and placed on them. Do you guys know what the word skins mean? Coats of skin? Do you know where it came from? It didn't come from tree bark. It came from an animal that was what? Sacrifice. Now just hang on. You're going to start seeing this all come together. So the Bible teaches, essentially, there is this kind of sacrificial system that has been set up. And you find this even more articulated in the book of Leviticus. Did you know there were five different kinds of sacrifices that could be offered to God? Did you know one of them actually was first fruits? Cain actually offered a sacrifice to God that later on in the book of Leviticus... Would be totally acceptable. Now you're saying, wait a minute, but what's wrong with this story? Did you know that first fruits only came after the Passover lamb? In other words, it was a kind of thanksgiving offering. I was reading one one commentator said he said after reconciliation or atonement then a thanksgiving offering would be given in fact remember what Jesus said after the leper was healed what did he tell the leper go to Mo go offer the gift that Moses had commanded you do you know what the gift that Moses had commanded was after you he were healed you were to offer a thanksgiving offering do you know what Jesus said He says, look, if there's something between you and your brother, first reconcile and then go offer the gift that Moses has commanded. In other words, the Thanksgiving offering was to come after an atonement kind of offering. But now you are looking at a situation where it seems that Cain is bypassing the need of atonement and he is going straight to what? A Thanksgiving offering. The Jewish system of feast days, there were seven feast days. There was the Passover feast, there was the first fruits feast, there was the unleavened bread feast, there was the day of Pentecost feast, and at the end of the Jewish calendar, you had three. You had the feast of trumpets, then the day of atonement, and then you had the feast of tabernacles. But prior to the feast of first fruits, a Passover lamb was primary. Initially, that was supposed to be the first fe- feast feast. And so what you are looking at, ladies and gentlemen, Cain is bypassing the need of an atonement offering. And he is skipping over that and going straight into a thanksgiving offering. Now we begin to understand something about Cain and what he believed about his own walk. Do you know what Cain began to believe? He didn't have sin. He had no sin that needed to be atoned of. Hence, he jumped over the atonement sacrifice and went right into a thanksgiving sacrifice. And the reason I bring it up is simply because of what Ellen White says right here. It's very powerful. She says these words. There is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently, or established more firmly. I mean, you can't make it more definite than that. In the minds of all, than the impossibility of fallen man meriting anything by his own best good works. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Can you say hallelujah to that? You see, God not only disrespected Cain's offering, but Cain himself. Because Cain had the audacity to think, you know what? I don't have sin. I can be right in the presence of God without a redeemer. And the Bible begins to reveal what was the source of Cain's issue. Is that Cain began to believe he didn't need a savior anymore. By the way, do you know the difference between Martin Luther's understanding of justification by faith and Catholicism's understanding of justification by faith? Martin Luther believed that you needed the righteousness of Christ that comes from him alone, but Catholicism began to preach you needed justification by faith to begin with, then the Holy Spirit takes over and you are weaned off the need of the blood of Jesus. You are looking at actually is a picture of what the end times reveal. And that is this you're going to have one group of people that do believe it is possible to merit themselves to God with their works, and you're going to have another group of people that believe that merits that only the merits of Christ can save them. Can you say amen to that? But notice what Ellen White says right here. She she's being very emphatic. She's saying something. She says, Look. There's nothing more that needs to be established in the minds of all. They can't save themselves. They can't save themselves. You can't save yourselves. You know, being even a pastor. Many times I've thought to myself, oh, praise the Lord. I've, I've marked off this checklist. I've accepted Jesus. And now I can keep going on down the checklist. But ladies and gentlemen, this is central to the belief of all Christians. And that is this, that Jesus Christ alone is the only one that can give you salvation. Can you say amen to that? But in order to receive this salvation, you need to be poor in spirit. Do you remember the parable that Jesus gave about an invitation to a great feast? And do you remember the king gave an invitation out and all the servants went out and they begin to invite this person, that person, this person. And do you know what every category of people said? We got excuses. But then the master says something interesting. He says, go to the highways and byways and find the poor. And did you know it was from that class of people that actually accepted the invitation? It was the poor that accepted the invitation. I'm not talking about poor finance-wise. But they were poor. And do you know what happens when they actually go in? Several of them go in, but there was one person who went into this feast. And the master confronts him and he says, wait a minute. How'd you get in here without a robe? A wedding garment? And you know what the Bible says about that man's response? It says, he was speechless. Now you think to yourself, wait a minute, who did God just invite? He just invited the poor. Now where are poor people going to get wedding garments? It was provided for them. In other words, the reason why the man was speechless is because he had no excuse. The wedding garment was provided for him. Do you know when Jesus actually goes over the Beatitudes, do you know what the very first Beatitude is? Blessed are the... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? Kingdom of God. Notice this. In other words, to to receive the righteousness of Christ, one must accept they are poor in spirituality. There must be an understanding. God, I can't do this. And many times we believe in our Christian walk. Wait a minute. You know what? I think I can. And that is where the problem begins to take root. You see, the Bible says something interesting about Cain. It's quite an unusual dilemma. It says that Cain would be a vagabond and a fugitive, right? Somebody running from somebody and somebody who doesn't have a home. But in the next few verses, do you know what Cain does? He builds a city. Now, does that sound like someone who's a wanderer? Oh, did the word of God not come true? The Bible says he would be a wanderer, but in the next few verses, he builds a city. Maybe God was just threatening Cain. You're going to be a vagabond and a wanderer. So Cain's like, okay. He goes and he dwells on this side of Eden, and then he doesn't just dwell there. The Bible says he builds a city. Now, this when someone builds a city, that sounds like they have a home to me. Doesn't that sound like to you? That sounds like they don't need to wander anymore. So, how do we understand this? We understand this because when God was telling Cain, "You're going to be a, ba- a vagabond and a wanderer," what He was saying to him was spiritually you will always have unrest in your heart. Spiritually, you would always have unrest. Because you have rejected this atonement, you will always have this unrest in your heart. In other words, a wanderer is somebody who has no rest day or night. Now we begin to understand a little bit of the context of the third angel's message. Wait a minute, when God is saying, hey, don't worship the beast and his image, when God is saying, if you worship the beast and his image, you'll have no rest day and night, we begin to understand what this is pointing to. It's pointing us to the story of Cain. That when you reject Jesus as the sole, sole cause of your, of righteousness, of salvation, when you reject Jesus, you begin to go down a path of wandering. There's no more peace in your heart. And ladies and gentlemen, many times as Christians, we have lived too long without heaven's peace. Too long without heaven's peace. Without righteousness. And God is offering it as a gift to all of his people. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, verses one through two, therefore having been justified by what? Faith. We have what? Peace. Do you know what the word peace is translated? Rest. We have rest with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith, into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Can you say amen to that? Philippians 3 verse 9. And being found in Him, let's read it together, not having my own righteousness. It doesn't matter if you are eating raw. Amen? It doesn't matter if you don't believe in walking a certain distance on the Sabbath. If it is your righteousness, you are not getting to heaven. If it is your righteousness, you have substituted your God's peace with your efforts. The Bible says something interesting. And being found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness is of God by what? Faith. Notice what the Bible says right here, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For by faith are you saved through what? Excuse me, by grace. You need to correct the pastor right there. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith and not of yourselves. It is the what? Gift of God. You see, the sacrifices were called a gift. A gift. It is a gift of God. And not of works, lest anyone should boast. Notice what the Bible says next. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. We read this right from the very beginning. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. From what? Faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by what? Faith. Over and over again, there is an emphasis upon God's people. That it is the gospel alone that can save you. Did you know in the Old Testament, you had the sanctuary services. All of Israel was to surround the sanctuary. But do you know what was inside the sanctuary? You had, in the most holy place, you had the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, you had the Ten Commandments. And do you know what was over the Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat. And do you know what was over the mercy seat? There were two angels, but the Bible says the angels' heads were looking down upon the mercy seat. They were looking at the gospel. How mercy is covering over our sins and how we have broken the law of God. This was to be the center of all of Israel. You see, the gospel was to be the very central point, the focus. And as they carried the ark forward, it was to be a picture of the gospel going to the entire world do you know when Jesus says in Matthew chapter four, twenty-four, the gospel shall be preached in all the world as a what witness and then the what end will come. Did you know if you go to Revelation chapter 14, the Bible describes what this gospel is? The Bible actually says it is the everlasting gospel. It is a revelation of the everlasting heart and covenant of God. A picture of God's love and his desire to save his people. Can you say amen to that? Notice what the Bible says right here in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4. By works, Abel offered to God a more ex-what? Okay, alright, let's do this again. By faith, Amen? By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice through Cain, then Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. Now here's where it starts getting interesting. And through it, he being dead, still what? Let me ask you a question. What did God tell Cain That was speaking. He was saying, Cain, the blood of Abel is crying out to me. Is this talking about the blood of Abel? Is this talking about the blood of Abel speaking? No, it's not. Something else about Abel that speaks louder than even his own sacrifice. his faith in the Redeemer that would come to save him. This is what still speaks to all of humanity. More than just a vengeance towards Cain and his descendants, but the gift of God that is available to all of mankind. This is what is speaking. To all of humanity. Can you say amen to that? Notice what Ellen White says right here. The enemy of man and God is not willing that this truth, justification by faith, should be clearly presented. For he knows that if the people receive it fully, his power will be what? Broken. His power will be what? Do you know the devil right now doesn't want you to understand this? He is absolutely Tireless in his efforts to make sure you don't get this. Because there is something the devil is fully aware of. He is convinced. Do you know what he's convinced about? That's gonna blow your mind away. The devil is convinced the gospel works. Is he more convinced than you are? You shouldn't say yes to that, amen? We don't want that to be the truth. But the devil is convinced that the gospel works and he is fully convinced, fully convinced that he needs to make sure that God's people don't understand this truth. You see, the same God that says, go and sin no more, said these words, neither do I condemn you. Amen. God calls us to receive by faith the righteousness that comes from God and God alone. Can you say amen to that? You know, Ellen White said something very interesting. This is where we start getting some history of the church. Early on in the 1880s, unusual things began to happen in the early part of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. The gospel was going to the entire world. Sunday laws began to pop up. And it seemed like the world was ripe for something. All of a sudden, Ellen White's husband dies. But there she is at his bedside and God speaks to her and notice what it said right here when I sat with the hand of my dying husband in my own I knew that God was at work It was there like a clear chain of light presented before me. It was there I understood that I was to take the work and a burden stronger than I had ever borne before. It was there that I promised the Lord that I would stand at my post of duty and I have tried to do it. I do as far as possible the work the Lord has given, God has given me to do. Here it is. With the understanding that God was to bring an element in this work that we have not had yet. Yet. Apparently something was about to be introduced to the church. An element that would completely revolutionize the church. That would take the church to the next level in preaching the gospel to the entire world. That the glory of God could be seen. That the latter rain could be poured out to all of his people. And that Jesus could come back. An element. A powerful element. what was this element? In the end of the 1880s. Preachers began to preach under the Spirit of God about the righteousness that comes from God alone. You see, the early church, as they began to preach about the law of God and sh- share with an apostate Protestantism, hey, you need to come back to the law. Sure enough, that was true. They had completely missed the Sabbath and there was this call from within Adventism, uh, from, uh, from Adventism, come back to the Sabbath truth. However, as there was an emphasis upon the law of God, Christ began to be eclipsed. He began to be what? Eclipsed. And all of a sudden, controversy sprung out in the church. You had one group of people that were saying, the law and the standards of the church. And then you had another group of people that were saying, through Christ and Christ alone. And sure enough, there was this great conference that took place in the year 1888. But notice what was said at the opening address. Dear brethren who shall assemble in the general conference, we are what? We are what? Impressed that this gathering will be the most important meeting you have ever attended. Now let me ask you a question. If I told you, I need you to come to a meeting Wednesday night. And you would say, okay, maybe. And I would say these words. It is going to be the most important meeting you have ever attended. Would you show up? Would you show up? Yes. He would show up, right? You would say, Yeah, I'll be there, right? Come on, I want to see if he's right, right? Notice what she is saying about this meeting. We are impressed that this gathering will be the most important meeting you have ever attended. And you're going to understand why it was to be the most important meeting. Because this will be determined at this meeting whether or not Jesus was to come back. You see, the early church needed an element that was going to revolutionize them. And it was a a, a prioritizing of Christ. In other words, Christ no longer being eclipsed, but that Christ would become the center of Seventh-day Adventism. And had this message been accepted, Jesus would have come back. We had missionaries poised in different countries. Sunday laws were started, the gospel was rapidly multiplying, the church was growing, and this would be the element that would change the game. And so you can imagine the intensity of that moment. And yet, what took place was there was a rejection and a struggling and striving against this message. And do you know what's happened? We have been here for more than a hundred years plus wandering. wandering. Do you know why the children of Israel didn't go into the Holy Land? Because of what? Unbelief, the Bible says. Unbelief is why the children of Israel did not go into the Holy Land. They didn't believe it. They would not accept this message. They were so worried that they would lose control over their church if Christ became central and the focal point. Ladies and gentlemen, but what was preached at that message still had an effect. There was actually in, in um, transcripts of the sermons that were being preached about Christ and His righteousness, righteousness being sent all the way to Asia. And the reports show that even when they took these sermons and were presenting them up front at church, there was such power that attended this that revivals broke out in those areas because of a written manuscript. Christ was being presented. Ladies and gentlemen, do you want to know something? Frederick Nietzsche said this. He says, because of the God is dead movement, 1900s, the next century would be the bloodiest century ever. Do you know what's happened in the last 100 years plus? World War I, World War II, you have the Korean War, You have the Vietnam War, you have a whole host of wars, you have the development of nuclear warheads, you have um, just an intensity of violence that has taken place over the last hundred years plus that have made all of Earth's history prior to that time look like a walk in the park. It wasn't supposed to happen. You see, it was enough. The great controversy was still at a point where it could have finished up right then and there. But you see what happens when you don't change a part at the right time and you keep driving with that part. Pardon the relevancy. The damage that can happen later on when the breakdown takes place is far beyond measurement. We have been here too long, ladies and gentlemen. We have been here too long and what Christ wants to do, he wants to reawaken in his people an understanding of this great central truth. Now what is this great central truth? There is one great central truth to be kept ever before in the mind in the searching of the scriptures. Well, what is that? Christ and him crucified. Every other truth, I want you to pay attention to this, every other truth is invested with influence and power corresponding to its relation to This In other words, you just don't have all the teachings of the church on equal footing in relation to the gospel and the closer they are in understanding the beautiful picture of the gospel, their importance goes up higher on the rank of scale. Can you say amen to that? So the law and the gospel, the law has great importance in that it reveals the gospel truth. Ladies and gentlemen, all our teachings are true. Can you say amen to that? But connected to Christ, these teachings become truth. Do you know what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth. In other words, Jesus didn't say, I am the way, a truth. Did he say that? Some people preach like Jesus is just a truth. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. He told the Pharisees, John chapter 5 verse 39, search the scriptures, these are they which what? Testify of me. You see the God, the disciples had an understanding of this and that's why many times recording from the Old Testament, they couldn't unsee Jesus in every single verse. They saw him in everything. And it became their whole focus in presenting the gospel. All of our teachings are designed for a great purpose, and that is a revelation of who Jesus is. Can you say amen to that? Now, just to give you a bit of analogy. Imagine somebody speaks to you about the greatest event in their life. Joe, what's the greatest event of your life that ever happened? What's the best thing that ever happened to you besides your accepting of Christ? Okay, even besides your relationship with God, what's been the greatest event in your life? Okay, married to your wife. I was trying to lure you out on that one. Okay. It just took a little long time. (laughs) It's okay. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if I was to share with you, Joe, let's say Joe, I'm Joe, I say, let me tell you about the greatest event in my life, besides accepting Christ and following Him. Okay, what is that? It was marrying Michael. Okay? It was marrying my beautiful Filipino wife. Okay? And then you say, why don't you tell me about that event? And you say, alright, I'll tell you about that event. Okay? And I say to you, oh man, that was a wonderful wedding. I mean, you should have been there. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, tell me more. I mean, you should have seen the decorations that were on the church. Awesome. And the preacher, he was a good-looking Indian preacher. I mean, that was amazing. You're like, oh, okay, all right, (laughs) right? And then he says, oh, and the blueberry pancakes. You would start scratching your head. You're like, what do blueberry pancakes have to do with anything? And then he says, but, man, you should have been there when I saw her walk down the aisle. And as she was coming down that aisle... Oh, man, it was amazing. And my crazy cousin, Bob. And you would be like, What? What does that mean? Like, what are you talking about? You see, this is actually how we have presented the message of the church. We have presented the primary relevant message, and then we have added other facts... And truth, truths you could say, but disconnected from the event itself. Are you listening with me, yes or no? And do you know what happens? It sounds like jargon to people. But going back to the relevance, say if I was to come back and say, you know what, let me just tell you about my wedding. It was a beautiful wedding. You see see my wife when she came down. That morning, all of our families got together and we had blueberry pancakes. And it was just amazing as we were just sitting right next to each other, staring at each other's eyes. Oh, I get that, okay? And he should have been there. As we're walking down, it was actually... My crazy cousin, Bob, he had actually made the food for us during, during the reception. And it was the most amazing That She actually made the cake. And there was a, pic, a little picture, a little statue of me and my Filipino wife. You're like, oh, I get the picture now. I get what you mean by these extra things. Can you say amen if you're track with me, yes or no? You see, ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us to regain, refocus this one great central truth. Now what is that? Every other truth is to be invested with influence and power corresponding to its relation to this theme. It is only in the light of the cross that we can discern the exalted character of the law of God. Hanging upon the cross. Christ was the what? Gospel. I love these words. This is our message. Our argument. Our doctrine. Our warning to be the impenitent. Our encouragement for the sorrowing. The hope. Of every believer. Ladies and gentlemen, Christ is calling us to regain Him as the reason and hope of not just the church, but every individual believer. Ladies and gentlemen, in, you're standing before God. It's either your works or Christ's works. What's it gonna be? What's it gonna be? By the way, did you know you can be excited about this? You can be excited. You actually have permission. Even from Ellen White, she says, we can be excited about the gospel. You can be excited about the gospel. It is a message, an everlasting gospel. In fact, what's very interesting, this was early on in the church. They built this, or they made this painting called The Way of Life. And it was to be a picture of the entire great controversy. If you look over there, you see the uh, fall of Adam and Eve and their expulsion from the garden. You see Abraham. You see Cain versus Abel, or Cain killing Abel. You see the Last Supper. You see over here the cross. But as this picture was being reviewed and surveyed, Ellen White and her husband said, you know what? Things need to change. What needed to be changed? They recommissioned this picture. And do you know what the difference was? This was the difference after it was recommissioned. What do you notice different about this picture? The title changed Christ, the way of life. Notice this. Jesus and Him hanging on the cross was to be central. In fact, you take a good look. Everything else was simply in the shadow of the cross. Do you see what I'm talking about? This is the greatest event. This is the primary focus. And we as a church family, this is the element that our church needs like never before. Christ and Him hanging upon the cross. Can you say amen to that? Amen. This is a powerful truth of all professing Christians. Seventh-day Adventist should be the least in uplifting Christ. Be- I'm just making sure you're reading. Of all professing Christians, Seventh-day Adventists should be foremost in uplifting Christ before the world, simply because they're better than everybody else. God forbid, right? Come on, you guys. We have the truth. That's why we should be foremost, right? We're better than people. We dress better than people. We have churches on days that people don't go to work. We understand the Bible. I mean, we can beat people at Bible trivia. Do you know why we should be foremost in uplifting Christ? More than other other groups? Because of how much light God has made available to the church in relation to the gospel theme. All these components... All these components should help us to lift up Christ higher and greater than anything else our church does. We should be known for health. Amen. Nothing nothing wrong with that. I preach them. We should be known for the Sabbath. Praise the Lord. But one thing above all things we should be known for, and that is Christ and Him crucified. Can you say amen to that? This is a church that teaches and preaches the everlasting gospel. The proclamation of the third angel's message calls for the presentation of the Sabbath truth. This, this truth, with others included in the message, is to be proclaimed. But, the great center of attraction, Christ Jesus, must not be left out. The sinner must led, be led to look to Calvary. With the simple faith of a little child, he must trust in the merits of the Savior, accepting His righteousness, believing in His mercy. Ladies and gentlemen, what are you going to offer on that altar? What are you going to offer on the altar of religion? Your righteousness? Your relationship with God, what are you going to offer offer on that altar? The blood of Jesus alone. Can you say amen to that? You know, there's something that we need as a people. We need a revival and an understanding. We're told that one study will consume all other studies. Christ, our righteousness. Yet it has not been so. It has not been so. Yet God is calling His people... To regain this from the very alpha of the Bible history, you see the plan of redemption, you see the gospel, all the way to the end in the book of Revelation, you see the gospel. God is calling us to place the gospel again as the capstone of our faith. Can you say amen to that? And people will be drawn to Jesus like never before. Reformations will take place like never before. Revivals will happen in desolate places and desolate hearts when Jesus is uplifted again as the only one who can save you. And I love what Ellen White says, in that robe of righteousness, there is not one thread of human devising. Not one thread. Can you say amen to that? And that's presented and made available to anybody who is poor in spirit. God is calling us. God is calling us to accept by faith His gift for us. His gift for every sinner here. But God doesn't want to contend with you for first place. He's calling for you to open up the door Of your heart and let Jesus in. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that God is calling us to repentance. You're like, I haven't done anything wrong. You have, if you have believed that it's your works that have recommended you to God. is your righteousness, your privileges, your comparison to other people. That has made you or has given you any kind of merits you think before the Lord. You need to repent of that sin. Perhaps you have the sin of unbelief in your heart today thinking, you know what? Could it be that good? Could there be a righteousness that is for me completely independent of my right actions or my wrong actions? There is, ladies and gentlemen. God is calling you. To accept by faith the gospel that can change human hearts. The older I get, the more I realize this heart is stubborn to change. And the more I realize I fall so short of the glory of God. God is calling you like never before. To see Jesus. To accept the Lamb of God that takes away your sins. Today we're going to do something very simple would have a song being sung but with this song if you need to make a journey up to the front to the foot of the cross to saying Lord I need your righteousness and yours alone perhaps you need to come to the cross saying God forgive me for believing that I could do this on my own or perhaps you need to come to the front because Jesus has not been made the center of your experience God is calling us to lay aside the offering of Cain to accept by faith as Abel did the merits of our Savior alone who can save mankind who can save you we're not getting into heaven any other way this is what God is calling And the song is being sung near the cross. If you want to come near the cross up to the front, please come up and join us. Because we just want to come up here and pray and say, Lord, Jesus, be my righteousness alone. Be my salvation alone. Be my only hope. Father in Heaven, we just come to You confessing, Lord, our sinfulness, our unrighteousness, confessing our unbelief and pride. Lord, forgive us for offering the sacrifice of Cain. Please forgive us for many years of trusting in our own righteousness. Lord, right now we confess we need Jesus. He alone, God, is the one who can cover us with his righteousness. God, we pray your blood would wash away our sins. You alone are the only one that can save us. Dear Jesus, we put our faith in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, we pray and ask that this would become our renewed hope and our focus of our church, of our lives, of our witness, of our study, that Jesus would again have that first place. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the gospel where eternity past and our eternity future came together. We love you, Lord, because you have first loved us. May we leave from this place with hearts full of joy, because of the love of God for us. Thank you for hearing prayer, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www. Dot audioverse.org.